all try to make the best decisions possible when it comes to the breeding and management of our dairy goat herds. On this episode of Goat Gab, Cameron and I explore the theory of garbage in, garbage out, and how this can apply to many aspects of dairy goat management. Welcome, Goat Gabbers, to another amazing episode of Goat Gab. Um, as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren-Hughes. And I'm Cameron Jodlowski. And we are excited to be with you again this week and uh, spend a good hour of your time talking about goats again, as always. So what's yeah. going on with you, Cameron? Uh, well, this week I'm spending some time at uh, my fiance Catherine's and I'm farm sitting. Um, well, her family is away on vacation and she is um, doing some other things as well um, there. So I'm farm sitting the togs and uh, I have a special treat for myself that I'm going to force myself to go out of my comfort zone on. I, I am going to AI a goat tomorrow and this is my solemn promise. You really are. I really am. With really? some like totally scary, amazing semen? Uh, it's whatever Catherine's got in the tank. Oh, how exciting. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited. I mean, what what's what's it doing good in the tank? And we're gonna talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but what's what's it doing good sitting in the tank? And you know, like Dr. Deb said, she just really inspired me, Cameron. Learn to AI. Yeah, I it's I think it's kind of fun. And I'm not gonna say that AI kids are always better than your natural born kids. Of course they're not. But just there's just something special about those AI kids. Just yeah. a little different look, or um, yeah, it's just fun. Well, it's funny you said that because I would look was looking at one of my AI kids this year, and she's just really ugly duckling all year, mostly because her ears got frostbit, so we had to cut part of it off. Um, oh. So so she just she looks it kind of looks ugly. She's starting to grow and pick up, and I'm like, okay, like maybe you'll get an udder like your mama, and you'll be pretty, and you'll stay, maybe. <laughs> Did you name her like Nippy or something like that? No, we should have. God, that would have been such a great name. No, it's some boring name. I, I don't know. I don't remember right now. <laughs> and it even it even fit into the inn. Oh my gosh, right? well, you are Was just it the now. Yes, it was the end year. Uh, for those of you that don't know how we name our goats, uh, we do a theme with the dam, with the mom, in addition to the year that it was born's letter ear of the year. So this year was the end year, um, and it corresponds with that. So her name is uh, Nuisance, Nuisance this year. Well, that kind of goes along with getting your ears frostbitten. That, that works too. Nuisance, that's yeah. great. Yes. So, yes, fun facts there. Um, but in addition to that, I uh, judged a buck show in um, Central Illinois. So, a uh, good time there. Um, Hi, Karen. Yeah. I think this buck show is kind of unique. Will you talk about it a little bit? Because you and I talked offline yeah. um, kind of what this buck show was. So, I've never been yeah. to one like this. So, I'd like you to explain it. Yeah. So, this is a Nigerian dwarf only buck, so buck show. So, a single, sanction, single breed sanctioned show where. They come in um, on the first day. They will generally do a youth show, and they will do a Nigerian Dwarf Dairy Goat, the Nigerian Dairy Goat Association show, so an NDGA show on the first day. And then on the second day, they'll do an ADGA show and an AGS show as well. So they stay overnight. They have their bucks. Um, 
there and they do one of these every year. Um, so kind of unique. Um, and they do about three of these shows a year. They do a couple of those shows um, and then the buck show in the fall. So I wonder why Cameron, you see these kind of shows just for Nigerians, but like, I've never heard of a Nubian only show or an Alpine only show. Have you? No, I haven't. And I, and I have a hypothesis and making sure it off air, but um, yeah, it's, I, it's just, yeah, they're just a little different. I feel like the Nigerian dwarf breeders are a very tight niche group, which is, is totally cool. Um, but uh, you know, at the same time, they, they kind of like to do their own thing, which I have no problem with the check still, as long as the check clears the bank, the judge, I'm okay. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, they just, they like to do things by themselves, I think. So go ahead. It, it, if you can do it and financially support it, go ahead, have a goat show. I'm all for more goat shows. So as an Adga judge, Cameron, were you also able to judge the AGS and the ANNDA or? Yeah. So, so I'll, Nigerian dwarf yeah, so I'll, I'll do the, I, did, I can do the AGS show. Um, I did not do the NDGA show because I am not a licensed judge with the Nigerian dwarf goat association. Um, actually our friend of the program, Cade Cockburn judged that cause he is a, um, he's a licensed NDGA judge. So wait, let me get this straight. NDGA has their own judges licensing body. They have their own type of judges. Yes, correct. Okay, that's cool. I had no idea. Wow. Yes. Okay. It is a written test that you take um, and send that in. I do believe, if I remember correctly. So, do they have their own scorecard that is different from the ADGA scorecard? Um, hold on one sec. Now, I was going to actually look it up. <laughs> because that would i mean that's that's just kind of unique that's that's really cool yeah it, it is to, yeah i'm trying to picture how other breeds could do something like that if they wanted to yeah um i i really don't know how another uh breed do something similar uh, they could i mean from an adga level and this is what we mostly focus on most of the time is that you can do whatever you want with with a show you can have it a single sanction. You can sanction two breeds. You can sanction three breeds. You can sanction one breed. It doesn't really matter. The association doesn't care as long as you just fill out the paperwork correctly. Yeah, very cool. Huh. So, Interesting. I am not and finding so about, information on a scorecard. So about how many? I bet you Cade will let us know. Yes, he'll, he'll let us know, and we'll let you all know because I know you're just dying to find out. Like I am, <laughs> maybe not. But um, and how many goats did you have? Uh, Thirty. 30. So, wow. In and out, get done. That'd be pretty sweet. Yes, it was that. And then I made it to a family event afterwards and then I came up here. So, um, did that. Um, and then we had some goats, uh, this week as well. So, uh, we will see about those sticking or not, not too confident, but it is what it is. And the tank, the semen ain't getting any younger. <laughs> that is for sure. That is for sure. Well, it so, sounds like fun. Laura, um, uh, kind of a, a different vibe on your farm this week. Uh, what what happened there? You know, I wasn't going to say anything about this at all. And um, I had um, a, a goat friend of mine came and picked up a buck this week. And then I sold, I sold, I sold um, a senior herd sire this weekend. And, and those of you that have had, you know, bucks for a little while, you know, it's hard, or I think it's really hard to see these big boys go. You get really attached to them. And, and this guy, 
I've had since he was about two weeks old and it was very sad to, to lead him to the trailer and see his little um, very stinky, huge bearded, wet face. Give me this look like mom, you're not going with me. And uh, I had to say goodbye. But anyway, um, I, I was telling her of some troubles that I had and she said, well, I'm sure you'll talk about this on the podcast. And I said, I don't think so because I, you know, it, it, it's just a, a sad story. And she said, Oh no, I think you need to share this. People need to know that, you know, you have the same kind of problems that the rest of us do. So with that preface, um, this week, uh, you know, I think I said on our podcast last week that we put electric fence up for the bucks and it has done a tremendous job. The bucks stayed in, it was wonderful. And so, um, I had eight does that I synced to come in heat this weekend and uh, three of them were natural breedings and the other five, my plan was to AI them throughout the weekend. I didn't have anything planned. I was so excited about it. So the does came in heat like they were supposed to. They were hanging around on the bucks all day Saturday. I um, natural bred the does that were in standing heat that I didn't want to AI and got up early Sunday morning Um looked out the window to see who was hanging out by the bucks. And there was nobody hanging by my buck pen. And I'm like, well, great. That means that, you know, I'll get to AI all five of them today. And then I turned and looked and I saw two huge bucks running around with all of those does that were in heat. Oh no. And I, I walked out to the barn and I stood at the fence and looked at them. And of course, you know, they were as happy as what is it that they said in the, the movie um, cars as a tornado in a trailer park. They were, pretty dang, <laughs> they were pretty elated out there. And I just sit on the fence and I just bawled. I cried. I was so frustrated. <sighs> anyway. Well, so <clears throat> you just back up and decide what you can do. And, um, you know, I, what I decided is what I can't do is afford to leave all those does bred and uh, have to DNA test all those kids. So um, I'll take care of it and we'll try it again. And yeah. I learned a lot about electric fences and how easy it is for them to get shorted out if you turn them off. And then anyway, we figured it out. It'll be okay. But man, I'll tell you what, yesterday was a bad day for me. That was just bad. Well, we live and we learn and we let our listeners know that we are just like y'all. Um, our bucks get out. Our, our plans don't go the way we want them to. Um, our does don't cooperate. Um, right. <laughs> most, I feel like a lot of the times our does don't cooperate. You know, you, you sync them up and you time them for an exact perfect breeding when it's convenient for your schedule. And nope. Yeah, they have their own idea. And, you know, um, speaking of that, cooperating, have you ever had a doe that just, it doesn't matter where she is in her heat cycle, you just have to almost hold her and wrestle her to get her to, to let the buck breed her? No, no. I mean, I, we have, and I think we actually settled for AI on that one, and we got her to stick that one time that that did happen. Um but I have had it happen, um, and Laura, you you know this, and some of the listeners might know this as well. I have an old 
um, I call it a buck collection stand where the doe that's in heat just stands and the buck can just jump on her and mount her and it's at level. It's at, it's at eye level there. So it's not raised up or anything like a normal stand would be. Um, but so what I'll do sometimes when I, cause we hand breed everything and we try to hand breed everything is we will, um, I will put her in the, in the stand and I'll do that there. And I'll, then I'll go do chores and I'll watch the buck get her or mount her a couple times there. But there have been times when I've put them in the stand and they don't want to stay in the stand. I think I need a stand like that. This one, this one doe, um, she almost broke my thumb. <laughs> she, really, oh. she really was wrestling. And it's like this every year when you breed her. I mean, she takes, but boy, she's hard to breed. So oh. anyway, it's just, I just wondered if it was, I was just a lucky one to have a doe like that, or if other people have had that. So no. if listeners have that experience and have any great ideas on fixing that problem, let me know. Cause I really don't want to break an appendage the next time I go to breeder. <laughs> I feel like that's buck collections job is to break an appendage. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's about it. That's, you know, really all that's going on. I am very excited for some breedings to happen and I'm doing a big AI breeding this weekend. So that'll be fun. And then uh, we'll have all those does that we've got reset in a couple of weeks. So oh, that's exciting. That's, yeah. that's exciting. Lots of, Lots of excitement cooking up on the Maple Wing Caprine farm there. Right, right. Perfect. Yeah, so let's talk about what's going on with Adga. Yeah. So um, I went to go buy some national show pictures. And to my surprise, well, not really to my surprise, I'd kind of heard, and I know Laura had put something out on Facebook about it. And one of the groups was not all the pictures were up. And some of mine weren't. But I went to go buy some. It turns out you can't. Like it just keeps yeah. redirecting you back to a page. So it doesn't even give you an opportunity to like put it in a shopping cart or anything like that. No, just the strangest thing in the world. And I think, I don't know if my director or someone else's director had, had talked to someone above about that. Yeah. It's a little bit frustrating. I, I can't imagine what a big job it is to do all of those pictures, especially if it's a one woman show taking care of it. But on the other hand, I mean, we are in the middle of October now. So this was quite a while back and uh, man, I just want to see my pictures. Yeah. Picture. Yeah. I think it's just one picture that I'm waiting on, but yeah, that's all I'm um, waiting on too. You know, I sure hope, I sure hope that we have an answer on that soon because I know that you and I are not the only ones who are eager, eager to see them. So, um, and you know, just like anything else, I feel pretty confident in saying people can handle and put up with and, and, you know, be fine with delays all the time. If there's good communication about those delays. Yep. And I don't feel like that maybe we've had as good a communication on this situation as we need, as we need. Yeah. I would, I would wholeheartedly agree there. In addition to that, the preliminary top 10 list for 2020 finally came out. Cameron had been harping on that for a long time. It's very exciting, but it's not publicly available yet. So if you're thinking, oh, where's the 2020 top 10 list? It's not available yet. And it's very important that it's not available. How long, Cameron, until they will make that official? Um, I think a couple weeks. I have to. I would have to go back and check my email, but um, you do get a couple weeks there, and it's it's important 
for um, the the people that it's important for the people to verify that list. And I tell this story because we had about we had two or three animals on the top ten list one year. However, their production records qualified, but they weren't on the a first a list. And that was because we didn't have the correct paperwork in for our verification test. So because of that, the list is not finalized until all everyone has double checked their paperwork status there. Good to know. I wondered because because I have been on milk test, I get a copy of that preliminary top ten list also. Um, but obviously don't have goats on it. So it was fun. It was fun to look it over and and think about, oh, I can't wait till this is like not preliminary. Um, but I wondered what exactly you were supposed to do with it if you had an animal on that list. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Again, it's just to verify it there. And then if you can have to challenge it or you say, hey, what's going on? Why weren't my animals when my goat milked, you know, 5,500 pounds and it's a Nigerian dwarf? Why isn't it on the list? <laughs> That's a very unrealistic um, scenario. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, Dang, that's quite that's quite the milk. <laughs> I would I would be worried about that goat to be honest. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely there. But but there's that there. And then Laura, um, from the director's side of the house, it looks like you have a, a big Zoom meeting. Yeah. So, you know, of course, if if you have access to well, if you're an AdGA member, you've been sent a uh, password that gives you access to AdGA publications. So I'd encourage everybody to take some time and look at the year-end reports as they're rolling in because they they should have been in in August, I think, but there's still quite a few that are still rolling in. But one of the things that a group of directors had asked for was a preliminary uh, meeting, kind of updating directors on things to be looking out for on NG. I mean, we we all know that it's been a real um, challenge this year with NG to say the least. And, uh, you know, as directors, we all want to make the most of our time together to hopefully come up with a real plan forward. And as a brand new director, you know, I'm just kind of like a sponge. I'm just trying to soak it all in. So I know that the 13th that we have a zoom meeting for directors um, to kind of bring us up to date on things and give us some opportunity for some questions. So I'm really eager to hear how that goes. I don't know how much is, public after that but i'm i'm hopeful that this is really going to help us move forward and laura you'll be as transparent as you can be right i will be as transparent as i can be absolutely awesome that's all we can ask uh, and you know someone on this podcast will hold you accountable <laughs> I, do, I do and i expect it i expect our listeners to as well <laughs> all right you ready for the main topic everything else ready for the main topic no nope, awesome that's good. awesome so we're doing things a little different. We don't really have like a super concrete topic today. Um, just a little discussion on probably one of my favorite phrases um, that I use not only in my goat life, but in my professional life as well, which is called garbage in, garbage out. So now, Cameron, isn't that a computer programmer statement? Yeah, I think it was created from a computer programmer because if you program garbage, you're going to get garbage. But it's applicable, I feel like, across the dairy goat spectrum um, for a whole lot of reasons. I would agree with that. So, Laura, to you, what does garbage in, garbage out mean? Basically, that you get out of something what you put into it. Yeah, yes. And, and, and it's not just a goat thing. I mean, I 
You know, as another person, along with a lot of other goat people, it sounds like that I sure hope when I see you all in Pennsylvania, that there's a lot less of me to see. Um, <laughs> you know, I definitely see if I eat well, I feel better and, and I'm able to put out more of an, you know, I'm more mentally clear. I just feel better. But if I spend all day eating um, um, chocolate and uh, drink Mountain Dew, probably not not going to put out as much, you know, I feel like, I, I feel like garbage then. So I think that's pretty applicable to that too. Yeah, I agree on that side there. Um, to me, I think, you know, garbage is interpreted in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and that's kind of where we get some of the diversity of thought, as we'll say in this podcast here. Um, but to me, it's whatever thing you're intaking, whether it's goats or it's genetic lines or it's feedstuffs or if it's baby making material or, or any type of programming that you can learn, um, not, not just computer programming, but programs in terms of feed management or coccidiosis prevention or, or, or whatever. If you're using the wrong stuff or, or, or not necessarily going to the right expert, you're going to have a bad output. Yeah. I would agree with yeah. that as well. Yeah. So the first thing on garbage in, garbage out that I love to talk about is bringing in garbage genetics. It can be a doe or it can be a buck. And garbage genetics are interpreted in any which way, shape, or form. So let's talk about that a little bit, Cameron, because, you know, I think about a lot of people when they start with dairy goats and and I know my first experience with dairy goats, you fall in love with a goat that maybe you see at a neighbor's house or you see it at maybe a sale barn and you bring that goat home. And then 10 years later, you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, that goat was horrible. If you're like most people, you realize that that goat is not the confirmation that you would have bought today, but that's the foundation of a lot of herds. So, so, is what you're saying that because you kind of started with garbage, it's hard to get beyond that? Well, yes, potentially there. But I, again, I also think about, um, you know, and I t I'll tell the story about Mark Baden. And Mark Baden worked up from an animal, I think, that appraised about 72 to uh, having a herd of very consistent alpines that continuously place well at the national show. So you can start with garbage and move up, but that progress is going to be seen a lot slower there. And you're going to continue to build your way up. Um, through things there, and it, but you might struggle from the beginning, and generally you need that beginning success in order to continue to have confidence in your project moving forward. We do see a lot of burnout in this industry, in my in my eyes. We see people in it for three to five years, and then they just kind of magically disappear. The goats were too much time. The kids weren't interested in it, um, for or a whole other reasons there. So I feel like. Not starting out with garbage is really going to make sure you have a positive start to there and you're going to truly get, um, you know, a, a more quality experience from it. And maybe one of the keys to that too, Cameron, um, is kind of what you mentioned in using Mark for an example. Maybe the animals that he started out with weren't, I mean, they're obviously not what he has today with a top herd, but always moving forward, you know making sure that that next animal that you bring in, that that next buck that you bring in is a better quality is going to give you what you need. Um, so, 
you're always making that progress versus moving backwards. And sometimes I think you'll see people that'll have made some progress with their herd and then they'll bring something else in and you kind of scratch your head and think, why the heck did you bring that in? That is nothing like the rest of your herd. It doesn't have anything in common with the animals that you have and it's not going to move you forward. But you know, there's some other reason that they brought that animal in. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you can bring in a doe that's really bad and maybe keep them for whatever reason there. And maybe that's the start of your herd. But I feel like if you bring in a garbage buck, that's going to take you, you know, three steps back. But how do you know it's a garbage buck when you bring it in? Oh, that's a great question. And I, I think, it, again, it goes back to, we talked about a lot, but knowing your lines and do you mm-hmm. under, do you want to be tightly inbred? Do you want to continue to line breed? Um, do you want a little bit of an outcross? And sometimes outcrosses don't work. Um, <laughs> they don't work at all. I think about some of our outcrosses and, you know, there's a, there's some, some pretty predominant Alpine herds and the purebred French Alpine herds that we don't buy bucks from because, you know, we, we know their genetics don't cross with ours. Right. And that's, but I think, you know, that's another point though, about garbage, garbage in, garbage out. Uh, don't be afraid to take out the garbage. In other words, yeah. if you realize that this buck, you know, and, and unfortunately it might take you two years before you really see that. But if you realize that this buck is not crossing well or, or, or this line that you have isn't doing well, don't be afraid to say goodbye to it because the longer you keep that, the more you have that simmering underneath the surface of your genetic pool there. And, uh, it could rear its ugly head later. I, last year or a couple of years ago, we used a, uh, a pretty well-known buck in our herd. Um, we kept some daughters out of him and, and then we freshened them. Well, it turns out we really didn't like them. So we scrapped all of them, but one who was a dry yearling. And it truly wasn't, you know, maybe taking out the garbage, but it was saying, Hey, this didn't work for me. Um, so, you know, it's, we're not, you know, don't be afraid to say, Hey, this didn't work and, and scrap that entire kid crowd or maybe keep one that you think is the best because some of the attributes that they had didn't really work for your style. So don't be afraid to do that. Even if it is from a big name goat, you know, people might always ask, Hey, what did that buck do from so-and-so or that national champion son you got or something like that? Don't be afraid to say, well, he didn't really work in my herd. He didn't cross well with my lines because. At the end of the day, that's that's important there. And there's no sh- I, no shame to the herd that bred that buck. I mean, nope. so, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work. I yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. I totally get that. So what happens, Cameron, if you bring an animal in and you discover that there's like a genetic defect? And I can I can think back um, from my Nubian days, a buck that tended to throw an extra teat in there. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think you've got to play with them very carefully, especially the teats. And I'll, I'll generally pick on the teats there because that's where I have the most experience, is you have to play with them carefully. Um, whether it's but, – but remember that – or something in the back of your mind that says, well, that does happen a lot. Or sometimes you don't even know about it until after it happens. And you say, hey, is, is there any type of – genetic abnormality in in the back line they're like oh yeah you know that specific line throws you know triple teats or, or uh, quad teats all the time or something like that or fishtails or something like that all the time and you're like oh boy 
and, right. and you don't even think about it. You know, it, that's not that's not maybe one of the questions that we necessarily ask when we're buying bucks. No, and I guess you would hope that somebody would tell you that, but maybe not. I mean, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. But don't if you don't want that in your herd, feel free to call them garbage and get rid of them as soon as possible. Right. That's yeah. that's my thing. And and don't be afraid to offend people. Or don't be afraid that you might offend people by selling a buck from them. Um I, I feel like I run into that a lot, don't you, Laura? Oh yes. People are almost apologetic if they sell an animal that you've sold them, you know. And I think every breeder that um I think every breeder wants to know what happens to the animals that they sell. I know that I do. Yeah. Um you know, maybe if you have like a huge herd, it's harder to keep track of them. But for me, I don't, I don't sell that many bucks. So I want to know, how's this buck doing for you? How do you like his daughters? How's the offspring? How have they freshened? Um, and sometimes people are afraid to tell you that they sale barned that buck or they sold that buck to somebody else. Uh, don't be afraid to say that. Not every buck is going to work for everybody. And just because I made a breeding because it was something that I thought was going to work well in my herd, it may not work for you. That's okay. Yeah, Let's, we're all in the same. We're all in the same game of trying to improve the the genetic pool of our breed. So, you know, what might not work for you might work for somebody else. But just one, one man's trash is another man's treasure. For sure, that's right. <laughs> Funny yeah. how we're taking out we're taking out the garbage and somebody else is bringing it in. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a garage sale, huh? It, you know, the garage sale of bucks. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you put out what you don't want and other people just come and buy all your junk. That's great. Yeah, yes, absolutely. There, Laura, uh, garbage in, garbage out on genetics. Oh man. There's <laughs> such a, there's so, so much to think about there, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I know that I mentioned this in another podcast, but uh, a rule that, that my daughters and I kind of had in the very beginning was that if you call a doe, because of either mammary system or confirmation, um, then you don't keep the kids out of that dough. And we did that because I have such a small herd and I knew that, that keeping those kind of genetics, you're running the risk that that's going to pop back up to haunt you, you know, maybe, maybe not in this generation, but maybe in the next generation. So, um, you know, we always kind of did that, but I know that a lot of people don't follow that that rule and they're very successful. So I guess you have to decide what works for you on that too. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think back here to my herd and I, and it, it's funny because you often think, okay, you think some of my best goats will be out of my older does or will they be out of my younger does? Hypothetically, they should be out of your younger does because you're, you should be hypothetically improving the stock. However, if you go through my website, what you'll find is that our best goats are out of our older does because they've stood the test of time and there's a reason why they're still there because they consistently either reproduce themselves or, or they, they, um, they are just that nice. Yes. I, I think I find that in my herd too. Yeah, I think so. But, but you're right. Your younger stuff should be your most genetically advanced. And, and, you know, on that same note, you should probably be keeping bucks out of your youngest stock too. Right. Because they're the most advanced, but, I don't. I mean, I I want to see that a doe has really proven herself before I want to keep a buck out of her. Absolutely. I will seldomly sell a buck out of a first freshener 
they've got to be top notch, staying in the herd in order to be considered that there. Unless you, unless it's like a four H level or it's a different pricing structure, or we're working on a deal, or I'm cutting you a deal or something like that. But you know, and, and just remember as well with those genetics, what's back there can always rear its ugly head. Um, again, going back to the teats thing, it can go back there. Oh yes, yes, and then that's just something that is hard to get rid of. Oh yeah, totally there. And, and other things as well, that's genetic. So still, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, let's, let's kind of take a little, little different tack here. Okay. Let's jump, let's jump out of genetics for a minute, Cameron. Okay. Let's talk about feed. Oh, feed, 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 feed. This is very important. And I'm going to start in it with my opinion, the most important thing to raise high quality dairy goats. Hey, Yes. If you feed bad hay, you will see it in your milk records. You will, might potentially see it in your body condition scores, and you will see it potentially in the show ring as well. So I know that you've talked, Cameron, about your amazing hay guy before. <laughs> I don't give out his name for that reason. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny how we kind of keep those things quiet. Um, um, the The... My hay supplier right now, um, my uh, husband asked for his phone number the other day. I'm like, what do you need his phone number for? <laughs> He's like, well, so-and-so is looking for hay. And I'm like, how much hay are they going to use? Because I don't know that I want to give that number out. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm selfish, but, um, you know, sometimes hay is hard to get. And, and I know that for myself, as somebody who doesn't have a lot of acreage, I don't do my own hay. There have been years, Cameron, where I've felt like that I've had to feed garbage hay. And you're totally right. You can see it in the condition of your animals, in the milk production of your animals, um, in the reproduction of your animals. Uh, you know, lots more singles and twins than what I'm used to having. Um, yeah. It, it just, it makes a big deal. And, and unfortunately there are some times where you just can't do anything about it. If the hay is not there, you just don't have the hay there. So then you're relying on what I call stopgap measures like alfalfa pellets and, um, you know, more yeah, beet pulp and cottonseed and, and stuff to try to help make up that gap. But I would agree with what you said. Hay is the number one thing that you've got to have for those animals. Yeah, so let's talk about because I don't think we've ever unpacked this here. Have you had luck with alfalfa pellets or like a chaffee or something like that there? So we used chaffee quite a bit through the early spring this year because the hay that we were feeding was decent hay, but it wasn't like the candy alfalfa hay that I really wanted to give. And and I knew nationals were coming up, but I knew I really wanted to push them. Um, I felt like chaffee definitely helped. Uh, the goats really liked it. It took a little bit to figure out how to feed it because it, it, you need more than just a little feed pan like we were feeding grain in. So, um, once we got it down, I really enjoyed using the chaff hay. Didn't enjoy it so much when it got hot outside because it seemed like it was harder to keep it good. Mm -hmm. It, it tends to get slimy and then the goats don't like it. And I don't think it's probably safe to eat when it gets like that. Um, alfalfa pellets, I've never had good luck with. My goats just don't yeah. like them. They will, they will sift them out the side of their mouth. Even when I mix it into their favorite grain, those alfalfa pellets get sorted out. 
quicker than anything. So what about you? Have you used either one of those? Uh, never chaff hay. I've, we've used, Catherine's used alfalfa pellets before and, um, <laughs> it was crazy because she was struggling to find hay and use the alfalfa pellets for a little bit. And then she forgot to tell her, uh, cousins who take care of her goats to stop feeding the alfalfa pellets after they got hay. So as you can imagine with alfalfa pellets and, and hay on top of it, uh, yeah, they, they started to bloom a little bit there. And that was that, you know, that was part of Catherine's, uh, last couple of weeks for, towards the national show were that. Well, that was a good thing then. Yes, I would say so, but it's, it's a pricey, it's a pricey, um, little experiment to run. I will say there, I do. I consider them garbage. Eh, maybe not. I, I Chaffee to me is weird, but uh, it's it's truly an amazing product when you think about it. Bagged hay, who would have ever thought about that? Um, but uh, it, it, I would not consider that garbage. It just kind of depends on how prima donna your goats are. I will say one thing about Chaffee that has absolutely nothing to do with its feed quality. I love the way that stuff smells. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I really do. I love opening a new bag of that and just... Oh, it's just wonderful. And and my goats do eat it like candy. So I, you know, I think we'll use it again, especially when the does first start freshening and, and, you know, we're ramping up nutrition there, but alfalfa pellets for me were a no go. The goats mm-hmm. just didn't like them. Uh-huh. But going back to just, just squares there, feeding pure grass hay, you will not get consistently 4,000 pound lactations of goats. No, but you know, we did feed grass hay one year because that's all we could find. Uh-huh. And I will say this, the condition of my goats, like their body condition was excellent. Okay. I, they, they really put on, they put on weight. They put on body condition on that grass hay, um, but they did not milk well. So mm-hmm. that's, you know, I guess that's something to think about in the future. If I'm looking to get weight on them, but not milking them, I might. Well, that again. it's funny because, you know, we talk about grass and, you know, my Catherine's got pasture out there. And so she, um, turns a lot of her goats out on pasture and they lose a little bit of weight, but they don't really gain. I mean, they don't, they stay at kind of a consistent body condition mm-hmm. and, and well, that's, and it's cheap. Oh yeah. It's very cheap. And, and <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, again, I agree with you. It's not garbage. I mean, we're not talking about garbage here, but maybe lesser quality than mm-hmm. that, you know, really nice candy alfalfa hay that, yeah. you know, you or I might consider eating with little ranch dressing. So. <laughs> yep. That's, that's very true there. So, to me, again, if, if you want garbage in, garbage out, if you, if you want a bad result, feed lower quality ish hay, cause you know, it, it's funny if you go to these shows and you see some of these herds and you see where some people end up in a class and then you maybe walk the barn after you're done judging you'll maybe see a correlation to what, you know, what's going on in the show ring with how good their hay might be. I would agree with that too. You know, something else that, and I know I've mentioned that on our podcast before, um, water, Mm -hmm. the quality of water that you have. And especially, I'm not talking about like (laughs) buying bottled water for your goats or something like that, but but I am going to br- mention my water bucket experiment of buying brand new water buckets, scrubbing them out every, every other day and finding out just how much that did affect how much the goats drank and how much they milked. And it, it was a significant difference um, in compounding, adding um, blue light in with that really made a big difference. So I would say, you know, the, 
having clean, fresh water available um, with or without some type of an electrolyte in it can make a big difference too. Is yeah. that your experience as well? Yeah, I agree on that. Again, goats will go for blue light water over their automatic waterers any day. Um, constantly refilling the blue light waterers as compared to, again, our automatic waters that we have in our, in our barn. Um, one thing I'll ask you, Laura, is you, have you ever had your water tested? No, I haven't. Okay. okay. I suppose it wouldn't be difficult. We don't have well water where I okay. am, so it'd be pretty easy to go to our, our water district and ask them about that. Do you have, do you guys have well water? Yeah, we have well water. It's not tested. I think it tastes great. A little bit of iron. Goes a long way, because uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I enjoy the taste of iron well water. Um, but uh, no, we've never had it tested before. The goats don't seem to mind it, um, and it really, I think the biggest thing. If you're going to a lot of shows, I think it's important to have some consistency. And we've talked about this in their water in order to make sure they're getting the same level of quality in their minds um, at the show. Right. I, yeah, I think so too, um, and especially you know. Some of the fairgrounds that you go to and you turn that hose on and it smells like dead eggs or, oh, you know, some of the water's gross at fairs. So that's something always to keep in mind as well. Yeah. Again, you've got to have a good water in order to continue to raise super high quality animals. Yes, I agree. Um, minerals are another area that I struggle with because I, I just don't feel like I have a great mineral mix for my goats, but so important. To make sure that your goats have adequate minerals. Yeah. I would say this, if I were to do a SWOT analysis of my farm, we struggle with this as well. Oh, there's a mineral block there at the feed mill. We'll just pick up three of those or something like that. Um, that's that's generally our mineral program. <laughs> Not, I, I would say that we generally aren't the best at a mineral program. Um, but I, I think it just kind of depends where you live as well on how hard you need to go on your mineral program. You know, every year about fall, fall season, when I think about, okay, the next year of kidding, I try to have a goal each year, something in my management program that I'm really going to work on. So for the past two years, um, my my goal has been to really concentrate on kid rearing because I feel like sometimes that gets um, shoved to, to the back burner. You're so busy with milking does that, you know, you feed the kids and you make sure that you know, they're healthy and you just kind of go from there. And I've really put a lot of emphasis on that. I told the girls that um, my, my goal this next year is to really pay attention to minerals and uh, get into a good program. So maybe more on that down the road as we go on that journey, but minerals are so important, especially in areas where you know that the, the soil is deficient. And, and I think that's getting to be a bigger problem all the time. Yeah. I, I totally agree there from an agronomic perspective um, there. So I think the last thing um, coming from a management standpoint in terms of a intake of an animal is, is the feed quality. And it's something we often don't think about. Laura, do you think about feed quality at all? I don't mainly because I feed um, a commercial commercially prepared feed. I, I don't think too much about it, but you know, today it's funny you bring that up Cameron, because I was, um, perusing Facebook and somebody, and I should have marked it and I didn't put up an article about feed quality and like the differences in they were, they were promoting a high quality feed on a national scale, like talking about how there's consistent quality in that batch. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You don't have, you don't, you're not relying on local corn growers, for example, who might have um, vomitoxin or something in their, in their feed that year. Um, you're, they were saying you get more consistency when you use a national brand. I'm going to pick out Kent or Purina yep. or something like that. Um, now, just as many people will say, and I know that you have a special relationship with your local feed mill and you guys have an outstanding quality of feed that you don't worry about the consistency. So I think there's two different ways to look at that. What do you think? Well, it's funny you say, I I actually kind of worry about the consistency of my feed and not because I I want more grain than I want texture, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, We get a lot of powder, a lot of dust in there uh, often in some batches there. So we necessarily won't have the best quality of feed in some batches. Well, some do, some don't. Again, great feed mill would never, would not go in anywhere else because we've changed feed providers before and it was not a great experience. Um, they would uptake the molasses in our feed mix so the bat, the all the grains would stick together on our old or our, I guess we, our old feed mill. So that's why we changed or, or we went back actually to the other feed mill. Um, because they were a higher quality there. And I think it's more important if you're working with a local feed mill in order to make sure they have quality ingredients. Um, don't don't be afraid to ask questions about where they're getting their ingredients from. Um, maybe, you know, where they're sourcing them from as well there. Um, do they have other options as well? Because um, you might have different management goals than me. Maybe um, I, I don't care if uh, there are GMO products in our feed mix. Um, but maybe for you, you want a, a, a non-GMO feed mix as well. So don't be afraid to ask those questions and make sure that you um, feel comfortable with wherever you're buying your feed from. And never settle for feed that is is molded or that doesn't smell right to you or doesn't look right to you. Um, I've I've known of of breeders who have gotten feed from their feed mill and something got screwed up there and a, a wrong supplement was added or uh, something else. And they lost animals from that. So if you're suspect, if you, if you think there's something that doesn't look right, make sure you do the homework to, to find that out before you feed it. Yeah. Always look at your feed tags too. Um, especially if you are using some type of custom mix just this year, actually uh, we got sent home with a uh, creep, she- uh, creep feed for sheep as compared to goats. So imagine if we hadn't looked at that feed tag and noticed that um, it could have, again, wound up with a whole lot of problems. Right. And that's definitely garbage in. That is definitely garbage in. And I don't want to even imagine the garbage out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, so I think I've mentioned before that my semen tank is full. Okay. So that means that I'm always looking at my amazing semen inventory list and making sure that these bucks are still valid in my breeding program, that they're still going to take me the direction that I want to go. And if they're not, are these bucks worthy of passing on to another breeder that might get them where they want to go? Or are these bucks truly garbage that just need to be thawed out and dumped or donated to my local high school biology class think how cool that would be that they can all look at goat semen under their microscopes i've done that before yeah that's cool yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. So I think that's another area where you need to look at garbage. Yes. Willow Run, um, Botticello, uh, Botticelli Terret, Terret was definitely garbage in my microscope that day. <laughs> I've heard of that buck before. Yeah. He was a monster <laughs> buck. Must yeah. not been that garbage. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, this is a, not a, not a passion point of mine, but something that I'm, that I've really looked at is and thought as I've perused the internet or seen people trying to sell stuff. In my opinion, there's a lot of semen out there that probably should not be being marketed to people um, because either we don't have enough data on what the buck is actually doing or the dam and the sire are not necessarily of quality that we want to continue to drive into that gene pool. Yes. Yeah. So um, go ahead. So why do you think that they were collected? Um, well, and it kind of goes back to a conversation Laura and I had off air. Uh, it could have been from insurance or it could have been, Hey, someone decided, Oh, let's, let's get in on this buck collection deal. And, and, Oh, they're just making a stop there. I can, I have a free Saturday. I can do that. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, we'll go there. Maybe somebody will want to buy some, maybe some won't. <sighs> and that's just, uh, no, no, I'm just, well, I'm, think yeah, go ahead. I'm one of those breeders who I am a, a firm believer. <laughs> I can't talk a firm believer in every buck that I feel is worthy to use is worthy to collect. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, having said that though, I'm also not afraid to dump it. So if I collect a baby buck, because I'm afraid you never know what's going to happen. He might get pneumonia. He might get in a fight with another buck. He might break his neck. He might hang himself on the fence and never get to breed again. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. So I like to have that insurance of that buck in the tank, but I'm also not afraid to dump every last straw of it. If, if he turns out to be a dud, I don't want to pass. I don't want to croak someday and have my heirs going through the semen tank and thinking that they need to pass this semen on to somebody else because it's garbage. <laughs> well, and I think that's kind of what we're getting to in some places where people are acquiring tanks and they're like, Oh, what does this do? What does this do? Well, you probably should just throw all of it on the ground because it's not going to work well in this current age. Um, and there's just, in my opinion, there's a lot more, garbage semen out there than there is good semen out there yeah i would totally i that that i think you're right but again what's garbage to you or i might be a gold mine to somebody else exactly exactly you are exactly right I, you know to me i think you know i i, I think i'll record a grade buck semen out there is garbage but you know to other people they, they could be could be a great thing yeah, <laughs> I was throwing out a random breed there that doesn't have a lot collected. Yeah, I okay, I I I could see that. That yeah, it would be hard to it would be hard to convince me to use a recorded grade buck. Um, I know that some people will use experimental bucks and are extremely successful with that. We've we've had some of them on our podcast, and I think that's just rock star awesome but not something that works for me so yeah yeah I, I think it's i think it's got a place in commercial dairies i don't necessarily think it has a lot of value in the the the, the show world as we'll call it here 
maybe on the commercial side with the hybrid vigor that can be created from from two different um, breeds, uh, go for it. Um, but yeah, I will say this though: when I I'm going to digress a little bit. Yeah. When I read Randy Adamson's post lately about some does that he had had that have been milking for like three years. And they're, they're not registered goats. They're not purebred goats. They're probably out of a commercial buck, but I'm thinking, gosh, dang, that's just, that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe a buck like that wouldn't be a bad thing, but yeah, maybe not. Yeah. You know, I think there's, you know, collecting every buck to get insurance on it or collecting only proven bucks. I think that's kind of a, up for debate there and laura you're on the collecting every buck for insurance side myself i'm on the collecting only the proven bucks or bucks that i can market out of um, because i don't want to get um you know i don't want to fill my tank up with with more stuff than i have than than i can keep um on that there so i i think it's just you know what's garbage to one person could be a gold mine to another one just just one thing to remember that but don't i think the biggest takeaway if anything on garbage in, garbage out, is that if you have a buck that you don't think is going to work, and maybe you've tried to market them on Facebook for you know years and years and years, don't be afraid to throw it on the ground. Yeah, there's nothing that says that just because you have a straw or a cane of his semen in your tank that it's it's a crime to get rid of it because it's probably more of a crime to hang on to it if it's not good. And and that's a fixed cost right there. That your your tank, your semen tank is a fixed cost, but you also want to open up that fixed cost for other things as well. Other business ventures. That's right. Or like me, so you can hoard some more semen and, <laughs> and uh, clean your little tank out. So <laughs> Which I'm doing this year. I really am. So Okay. Anyway. Well maybe I can steal some goodies. Uh- you, you come shop, Cameron. You'll be fine. Oh, the checkbook's already signed, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think one last area maybe to explore a little bit on garbage in and garbage out has more to do with your sweat equity, or rather the work that you put into your herd. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I yeah I hadn't uh, I hadn't looked at this part of the outline, but yeah, I totally agree there. Love this first point you're trying to make here, which is, can you get a top-notch result without top-notch work? Can you work smarter, not harder? Yeah. I, I think you can work smarter, not harder, but I think that there is a point where you have to have to look at your management and say, yeah, this is the minimum that I need to get the result that I want. And then realize to do better, you're going to have to put more into it. Um, I think about that with um, different kid rearing and milking uh, things that I've tried. You know, to me, okay, you have to have a doe that's that's being milked. What's it look like if I, if I were to milk just once a day? Okay. And then what's it look like if I, if I'm consistently milking twice a day? And then what's it look like if I can milk three times a day on an eight hour, every eight hours? How does that look? And what's going to give me the best results? Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, you know, it kind of comes back to a point of you can milk twice a day. That's totally fine. But what animals kind of like humans thrive on is consistency. And and what's Cameron's favorite word in the podcast? 
homeostasis. They thrive. They thrive on homeostasis. So having consistent milking times, um, whether it's eight and eight, six and six, four and four, you know, they thrive on consistent milking times as close-ish to twelve hours as possible. And then I'm go- I'm going to be the devil's advocate a okay. little bit here too. You can make yourself crazy trying to keep that that homeostasis, that, yep. that consistency. And you can make it to the point that not only your family hates the goats, but you hate it too. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Oh, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. So you've got to find that sweet point, that balance between a top notch operation, doing things quote the right way and doing things the real way. You got to find what works for you and um, know what your ideal is. Try to hit that as much as, as closely as you can, but also be real. Live mm-hmm. life a little bit. Goats are amazing and goats are fun and they're addictive and the goat people are second to none, but family's important too. Absolutely. And so are jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Goats are, goats most of the time do not pay for themselves. They're very good at that. Right. They're a great money money eater. Yes. Literally. <laughs> they they throw the grain on the ground. <laughs> you know, something else that I want to bring up in and I Cameron, you and I briefly talked about it and I wasn't necessarily gonna bring it into this podcast, mm. but I think I will. Mm. Um you were talking about milk records and verification tests and paperwork and so forth. And uh for those of those of our listeners that have been on social media, there has been some discussion about uh cheating on milk tests and so forth. And uh, you and I talked about that a little bit, Uh that if you, if you, if somebody wants to cheat on milk tests, it's not too hard to do that. You can do that. And if you put faulty data in because you've falsified milk records or so forth, you're going to get garbage out as far as um, real data on what those does can produce and what their sires can produce and so forth. And who does that really benefit? You're exactly right. I think one thing that, you know, we talk about a garbage in, garbage out approach is that the one of the major, maybe the most detrimental outputs of falsifying milk records might be your reputation as a breeder. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that can definitely move you to garb- that garbage status pretty dang quick. <laughs> yeah. So again, just some things to consider there with your management programs there. I would also say too, you know, um, you got to trust people. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna buy. I'm not gonna buy a buck out of a top ten doe if I don't really believe that that person's been honest on their milk records. I don't care what the records say. Um, I'll if, if I don't find that I have a good, trustworthy, mutually respectful relationship with that person that's selling me the animal, I'm probably not gonna buy it. So you know, you have to you have to think for yourself on those kind of things too. I think. Records are records might be hard evidence, but they're only as good as the people that are interpreting it, you know, and it's not just milk records that we can look at, you know, um, appraisal scores as well. It's just however you interpret those appraisal scores, health records. I mean, you, you know, you can look at a lot of different things and, and have that, have that, um, non garbage relationship with that person that you're working with, uh, get to that point of trustworthiness. Mm-hmm. But if you're a sleazeball, we'll find you. We will know. <laughs> That's right. 
and eventually, you know, eventually the garbage will come out. So, yep. um, yeah, again, if you're a sleaze ball, everybody will know eventually. So the world's it's a small goat world, believe it or not. <laughs> You know, it is a small goat world, and that's one of the most wonderful things about dairy goats, and that's one of the hard things about dairy goats, too, mm-hmm. um, for sure. So. Yeah. Well, anything else? Garbage in, garbage out. I I think we've um, chewed on that topic pretty well, Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Awesome. So we've got some exciting things coming up. Yes, a surprise guest that Laura is confirming potentially, um, and we are working on, and Laura is very excited. Uh, she would scream the guest name to the heavens if she could, but she's going to keep it a secret, right? I know, but it feels like Christmas, and I know what everybody's <laughs> getting, and it's so exciting. And if you ask my kids, I'm the world's worst keeper, secret keeper, so you know this is about to kill me, but it's <sighs> it's going to be so amazing. I can't oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Uh, we forgot to talk about our big announcement. Well, I was waiting. Oh, yeah. The big announcement. Yes. Laura, what's, what's happening? What's the big announcement? For those of you that have asked for goat gab merchandise cameron has put things into play to make your dreams come true yeah so we're gonna have a goat gab t-shirts on the front they're gonna have our goat gab logo on them i'm on the back there it's gonna say uh because you can never have too much goat talk um for those people that don't believe that you listen to a podcast about goats um there uh, so uh we will have uh five colors in short sleeves um and three colors in long sleeves don't worry we have white as an option as well uh for you uh, people that want to wear them in the show ring um the shirts will be i do believe 24.99 and 29.99 uh, plus uh shipping as well there uh, this is all being facilitated through a bonfire store. Um, Laura and I are working through a third party. We're going to see how it works um, here. And we're just going to go for a test run. Um, if it works great, we'll continue. If not, we'll reevaluate it as well here. Uh, we did that because we wanted to take a little less work on ourselves so we could focus or a little less work from ourselves um, and really make sure that we can get the shirts out in a quality time as well there. So, um, that's exciting news. Um, again, five colors for uh, short sleeve, three colors for long sleeve. Um, again, they will ship right away there where there is no minimum amount of, uh, orders. You do have to purchase, uh, that. So, um, yeah, again, the link will be available tomorrow night, uh, which will be Wednesday night on face on our Facebook page, um, as well. So we're excited for that. I think that, uh, that is what the best dressed goat showman is going to be wearing at shows all over the country this next year. Right. <laughs> I hope, I hope. Um, so or, or people yeah. think what you what? listen to what? what exactly. So just something fun. Um, the store will be open throughout the holiday season. Um, after the holiday season, we'll evaluate it. Um, maybe we'll come up with some new designs. Maybe we'll do something different. Maybe we'll switch outlets. I don't really know yet. Um, we're going to kind of make things up as we go along and we'll see how it works. Yeah. So give us feedback. Yes. Feedback is a blessing, not just on the bonfire store. If you want different colors, um, we'll have to maybe wait on that. That's, I can only get five colors on there and three colors on the long sleeve, but they are premium shirts as compared to non-premium shirts. Cause we're a premium bunch of people. I think I'm going to have to order one and see what a premium <laughs> shirt feels like. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, so find us on Bonfire. Check out the Facebook link there. Um, you could probably just search Goat Gab t-shirts as well um, there. Um, you can also find the podcast here on Apple iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts um, there as well. And as always, we thank you for joining us and uh, give us your feedback. Let us know what you want to hear about. Thank you for being part of our Goat Gab family. We hope you have a great week. Have a great week, everybody.